Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 79, recorded here on August 27, 2023. This podcast is for entertainment only, not investing advice. Please do your own homework. All right, well, we got a lot of Bitcoin news this week, as usual. Um, and, uh, so we'll just jump right in and get started with the market update. So stocks rallied Friday as investors welcomed comments from the Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell in Jackson Hole that pointed to stronger than expected economic growth. Traders cheered Powell's confidence in continued U.S. economic growth as he cited, uh, quote, especially robust consumer spending and early signs of recovery in the housing market while reiterating the Fed's commitment to pull inflation back to its 2% goal. The Fed chief's remarks were eventually seen as being free of surprises, with Powell reaffirming a data-dependent approach and saying that policymakers at upcoming meetings would proceed carefully while assessing incoming economic data Meanwhile, stocks are continuing to adjust to bond market volatility, which saw short-term rates push higher this week while the benchmark 10-year yield remained unchanged. The top stock market indices were mixed for the week too, with the Dow Jones edging 0.4% lower, but the S&P 500 gaining 0.8%, and the NASDAQ composite closing 2.3% higher. So... As ridiculous as it is, the entire market pays very close attention to what the Federal Reserve does and says because they basically control everything. Uh, and the two percent target is an interesting one because, uh, in fact, I was um, reading something. I think Jeff Booth tweeted it, and it's like um, a two percent inflation target is like having someone come into your house and steal 2% of your things every year, you probably wouldn't notice it, but after a while um, you will, and your stuff is being stolen. <laughs> and that's essentially what a 2% inflation target is. So uh, inflation is theft and even, and it's certainly not what's being reported isn't, even close to what the real rate of inflation is, uh, particularly for folks that uh, a large portion of their income is ta is paid is paid for gas, uh, food, and other necessities. Those inflation rates tend to be much higher, although they strip those out of the CPI because they say they're volatile, um, which again is just uh, more gamesmanship. So, looking ahead to next week. The week ahead will include a major focus on economic releases with the Fed's favorite inflation gauge and the August jobs report both due to arrive. The hawkish tone from Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell was an indication that there won't be much slack in the battle to bring down inflation, while the jobs report on September 1st will be the last such release before the central bank's meeting on September 20th. The economic reports will arrive with Treasury yields on the march higher and futures trading pricing in roughly a two-thirds probability that the central bank will boost its key interest rate by a quarter percentage point in November 
after a pause in September. So, of course, if you have uh, cash invested in um, short-term treasuries, you know, one month, two, three months, six months, um, or money market funds, you don't really care if there's a, another rate increase. They're just going to pay you more money to on your dry powder. Um, so, uh, you know, what this ends up doing, of course, is it's wealthier people tend to have more of that kind of asset sitting around so it's like a subsidy for them and then uh you know how how are these uh higher interest rates on treasuries paid for does the government have enough money from taxes that it uh raises to pay for all of the government's budget expenditures including interest no no we have to borrow so uh in effect um that is ironically going, I think, is going to drive inflation higher, not lower. Uh, and it says uh, the economic reports will arrive with treasury yields on the March higher and futures trading pricing in roughly a two thirds probability that the central bank will boost its key interest rate by a quarter percentage point in November after a pause in September. And again, um, if you've got money market accounts you don't care uh but that's gonna hurt uh probably stocks and um maybe even some of the uh, growth stocks and uh if it keeps a lid on the bitcoin price keep on stacking you know meanwhile the earnings calendar includes key reports from salesforce Broadcom and Lululemon. Other items to watch include potential new regulations from the FDIC and mid-sized lending and the release by the Biden administration of the first 10 prescription drugs selected for Medicare price negotiations. All right, jumping into the Bitcoin news. Uh, first one here is a week in review. Just some highlights of some key articles. We may dive into some of these other ones in a little bit more detail. Um, first one here, BRICS leaders declare importance of using local currencies in international trade. The BRICS leaders stress the importance of encouraging the use of local currencies in international trade and financial transactions, that's a direct quote, in their declaration released at the conclusion of their 15th annual summit. In addition, the BRICS nations have tasked the finance ministers and central bank governors to, quote, consider the use of local currencies, payment instruments, and platforms. No announcement of a BRICS currency, uh, as some people suggested or speculated, um, but uh, they did add a few more countries to the BRICS, including Saudi Arabia, which was uh, kind of big news. So they're growing their membership. Uh, next one here to shitcoin, don't really care. XRP value plunges 39% post SEC verdict. XRP army remains optimistic amid market turbulence. It's been 40 days since the U.S. court issued a partial verdict in the SEC's case against Ripple. In that time frame, the digital currency XRP's value has slumped by a significant 39.43%. Uh, so... Don't shitcoin, just buy Bitcoin. Stay humble, stack sats. 
Uh, UK researchers claim new tech supercharges Bitcoin mining with 260% faster hash detection slashes energy. I think we talked about this last week. Um, so this might be a little bit redundant. Quantum Bitcoin Technologies, a research firm hailing from the UK, purports to have spearheaded a revolutionary leap in Bitcoin mining tech. They've unveiled certain methods that reportedly enhance the chances of pinpointing a winning hash. One such strategy, dubbed Method B, asserts it elevates the likelihood by a remarkable 260% compared to traditional mining searches simultaneously slashing energy use by 4.3%. So they're using AI to enhance Bitcoin mining to reduce energy consumption and increase probability of finding blocks. Uh, so here's some hopium. Analysis suggests Bitcoin's 2024 halving could propel price to $400,000. The highly anticipated 2024 Bitcoin halving could spark a meteoric price rise, potentially driving its value to a staggering $400,000, suggests an analysis by Blockware Solutions. The forecasted supply trim in 2024 might ignite an explosive demand for Bitcoin, the report highlights how a dynamic duo, a dip in sell-off pressures, and a burgeoning buying spree might set the stage for Bitcoin's most monumental cycle price surge ever. Interestingly enough, if you look at the interest rate um, assumptions for the uh, short-term rates for the, the Fed, um, and of course these change all the time, but they're expecting that... Um, Probably in the first or second quarter of 2024, the Fed's going to have to start cutting rates, uh, most likely because uh, the economy is in a recession uh, or interest or inflation gets under control as they measure it or whatever. But uh, so a uh, Fed rate cutting cycle uh, or, you know, a return to easy money, let's say, uh, would uh, almost exactly coincide with the halving, which which could um, potentially add to the upside. Next article, uh, this is from Bitcoin.com. Uh, sorry, the last one was from Bitcoin.com as well. Um, both of these were posted or updated today. This one is uh, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. BRICS is focused on reducing dependence on U.S.-controlled system. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov stated one of the objectives of the BRICS bloc was to achieve independence from the Western-controlled economic and payment system in its internal trade settlements and transactions. At the BRICS summit recently held in Johannesburg, Lavrov explained that this would be one way of escaping the hegemony of the U.S. as the issuer of the dollar. Quoted by the state-owned Russian news outlet TASS, Lavrov stated, and this is a quote, All attention is now focused on finding ways to ensure our mutual trade, mutual economic projects, and investments in such a way so as not to depend on the system controlled by the United States and its Western allies. Furthermore, Lavrov denied the idea that the bloc was studying the creation of a common currency, stressing that, quote, no one was, quote, talking about a single currency now. This contradicts prior reports of economists who claimed that a common currency was being discussed and that its value would be pegged to the price of gold. However, 
Lavrov talked about a possible alternative involving a currency pool among BRICS nations, explaining it could be a precursor to the solution to independent dependence on the U.S. managed economic system. Lavrov explained this idea was a forerunner to the steps that the BRICS countries are planning to take, steps to facilitate the use of national currencies, but most importantly, to create an alternative payment system. While he confessed that the final form of this evolving solution was unknown to him, he stated that the bloc should be preparing to advance it further, calling for the creation of a working group to present recommendations to the heads of state that would be discussed at the next BRICS summit to be held in Kazan next year. Lavrov's concerns made it to the BRICS summit Johannesburg II declaration, where the bloc declared the importance of encouraging the use of local currencies in international trade and financial transactions. Moving on, uh, this is uh, some policy news. Um, not sure it really relates to Bitcoin that much, but it's always good to see what the US government's cooking up. So uh, this is from Coindesk. This was updated on August 25th. Articles entitled Sweeping US Tax Proposal Met with Booze from Crypto World. An immediate burst of criticism from the crypto industry shows the U.S. Treasury Department's new proposal on how to handle digital assets. Taxes will face a long road as it enters a months-long period of public comments and hearings. X, the site formerly known as Twitter, quickly filled with complaints about the proposal's scope, particularly how the tax reporting demands may capture decentralized crypto operations that the industry would argue are impossible to bring into compliance. Miller Whitehouse Levine, the CEO of a decentralized finance lobbying group, said on the social media platform that the proposal as written is overbroad with provisions allowing it to capture all sorts of entities. He pointed to self-hosted or unhosted wallets as one example. While acknowledging that self-hosted wallets, self-hosted wallet users effectuate their own transfers, the proposal still somehow assumes to find third parties responsible for effectuating transfers on behalf of a wallet user. He said, in order to square the circle, the proposal asks one to accept that effectuating doesn't mean effectuating. Another poster on the platform noted that wallet providers like MetaMask decentralized exchanges like Uniswap and any smart contract with a multi-signature security setup might be captured under the reporting requirements. This would force these entities to develop new know-your-customer rules for their users. In a statement, Congressman Patrick McHenry, the chair of the House Financial Services Committee, said that while he was glad to see the effective date and certain exemptions were included, the proposed rulemaking fails on numerous other counts. Following the passage of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, numerous lawmakers of both parties made clear that any proposed rule must be narrow, tailored, and clear, he said. However, it fails on numerous other counts. Any additional rulemakings related to the other sections from the law must adhere to congressional intent. The crypto ecosystem is very different from that of traditional assets, so the rules must be tailored accordingly and not capture ecosystem participants that don't have a pathway to compliance, said Kristen Smith, CEO of the Blockchain Association, in a statement shortly after the proposal emerged. But Smith also nodded to the other side of this coin that the future rules will potentially give the masses of crypto investors a clear path to file their taxes eliminating what's been a major roadblock for easy involvement in digital assets. 
If done correctly, these rules could help provide everyday crypto users with the necessary information to accurately comply with tax laws, Smith said. The industry will have until October 30th to make their objections clear to the Treasury and Internal Revenue Service, followed by public hearings on November 7th and 8th. The proposal's authors included language in the lengthy document that invites ideas from the crypto sector. One immediate bright side about the proposal scope was that it generally excluded crypto mining operations, which had been a worry when the 2021 infrastructure law mandated the tax rules. Okay. Uh, moving on, this uh, also for Bitcoin.com. This was updated a couple days ago. And again, as usual, I'll include uh, links to all these articles in the show notes so you can read it for yourself. This one is entitled JP Morgan Analyst Crypto Bear Market on the Brink of Conclusion. So if you're a contrarian, this means the bear market's going to continue longer. But uh, anyway... Over the past fortnight, Bitcoin and the broader crypto economy have experienced a decline with the entire market valued just above $1 trillion at roughly $1.05 trillion as of Friday, August 25th, 2023. Regardless of the recent crypto slump and the recorded $1 billion in liquidations on August 17th, JP Morgan analyst directed by senior analyst Nikolaus Panagertsgolu posit that this decline might have reached its end. The JP Morgan experts assert that extensive positions in CME's Bitcoin derivatives markets convey a narrative indicating that the recent unwinding has ceased. As a result, we see limited downside for crypto markets over the near term, stated Panigertz Golu in a Thursday investor's note. Furthermore, JP Morgan's market strategist examined the recent SpaceX Bitcoin write-off and noted that these reports caught up investors with an overhang of long positions. In addition to this, the investors note touched on the potential BlackRock spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund and several other registrants planning to launch similar offerings. The analyst also mentioned that the recent partial ruling resulting from the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission lawsuit against Ripple briefly bolstered markets. However, subsequent SEC appeals have suppressed prices. And we talked about that earlier. The fading of the above previously positive news has induced a wave of long position liquidations in recent weeks that are still reverberating, disclosed the JP Morgan market strategist. Nonetheless, the unwinding of long positions appears to be at the uh, its end phase rather than its beginning, concluding Panigert Skolu and his colleagues. Uh, so if you don't trade Bitcoin, if you just buy and hold, then you don't need to worry about any of this stuff. All these liquidations are caused by um, options traders basically going long or going short. And then when the when the price uh, plummets or goes up rapidly, they uh, they get squeezed out. Um, next, we have an interesting one from... Uh, Bitcoin Magazine. This was posted on August 24th. Uh, this is entitled Shareholder Campaign Fights to Reclaim Customer Bitcoin in Grayscale Lawsuit. A group of shareholders in the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust have banded together in the first of its kind activist campaign organized through X, formerly Twitter, 
their goal, bringing legal action against Grayscale in an attempt to force them to allow redemptions for customer cryptocurrency held within the trust it operates and to repay, quote, exorbitant management fees. Though initially a grassroots campaign, one of the largest GBTC and Grayscale Ethereum trust shareholders, Alameda Research, <laughs> Sam Bankman Freed, has filed a lawsuit against Grayscale with numerous funds joining as plaintiffs for Tree Partners, Saba Capital, Owl Creek Asset Management, UTXO Management, and Aristides Capital. The complaint was filed in Delaware's Chancery Court with the assertion that Grayscale has breached its contractual and fiduciary duties to Alameda and other trust investors. The specific cause for complaint accuses Grayscale of charging excessive fees in addition to its refusal to allow for the redemption of Bitcoin and Ether. According to the court documents, Grayscale has charged over $1.3 billion in fees in the last two years alone. The plaintiffs are seeking to claw back those funds as well as renegotiate the fee structure of both GBTC and ETHE to, quote, competitive rates. The participants in the Grayscale lawsuit created a website in order to gather additional shareholders to join their fight due to the trust documents, which state that if shareholders only have the right to bring a case like this, uh, one against the trust if unaffiliated parties collectively holding at least 10% of outstanding shares join together as co-plaintiffs. The Grayscale litigation website <clears throat> has additional details for those wishing to sign up to participate in the legal battle or those wanting to find out more about the campaign. The initial deadline for joining the litigation is September 1st with the last day by which Alameda is to respond to Grayscale's motion to dismiss, scheduled for September 15th. The above is an overview of the case, but there are multiple related entities and nearly as many active lawsuits against the web of companies that operate and facilitate the trust, as well as one current case against the Securities and Exchange Commission brought by Grayscale. Uh, that they're basically, the, that one they're, they're trying to get uh, the SEC to grant their uh, status as a um, a physical ETF, so they would no longer be an exchange traded fund. It would become an ETF, and that would allow them to mark the price of their Bitcoin uh, equal to the net asset value, and uh, uh, you know essentially become the first uh, Bitcoin ETF, physical ETF. Although I don't know what would happen to their management fee. Hmm. To fully understand the complexities, it's helpful to step back and examine the structure and formation of GBTC as well as the events leading up to the lawsuits. Uh, so this goes into a little bit more detail on how it's set up. So Grayscale runs multiple cryptocurrency trusts, with the most well-known examples being GBTC and ETHE. These trusts operate similarly to each other with Grayscale as the sponsor that manages the trust, including management fees, and how they themselves can be replaced with a different sponsor. Shares of the respective trusts are issued by an authorized participant. In this case, an authorized participant of these trusts was for many years Genesis, an affiliate of Grayscale. Both companies are subsidiaries of the same parent company, Digital Currency Group. In order for shares to be issued, interested parties had to deposit Bitcoin or Ether with Genesis which then placed the assets into the trust and created shares that were locked up for a period of six months. After the six-month period, the shares were considered seasoned and were able to be transferred to another party or sold in the secondary market. 
These are currently one directional trusts, meaning that the Bitcoin or Ether only goes into the trust and cannot currently be redeemed by surrendering shares. While Grayscale has claimed that they are not legally allowed to redeem shares, the legal complaint says that the firm has contradicted this by admitting that Regulation M under federal securities law does in fact provide approval for allowing redemption so long as there's no ongoing share creation. As the market grew, GBTC's holdings peaked at roughly 650,000 Bitcoin, the largest known single holdings of Bitcoin in the world. The market value of that Bitcoin is worth over $17 billion at the time of writing. Regardless of whether the shares are trading at a premium or at a discount, Grayscale receives 2% of the total Bitcoin holdings on an annual basis as management fees. This equates to roughly 13,000 Bitcoin or nearly $350 million in revenue from fees per year, making Grayscale extremely lucrative. These fees do not factor in the company's other cryptocurrency trusts. Currently, there are approximately 624,366 Bitcoin remaining in the trust. In the past, the price of GBTC loosely followed the Bitcoin price, but due to the six-month lockup period, the share price became uncorrelated to the underlying Bitcoin sitting within the trust. There were times when the trust traded at a premium of nearly 50%, meaning that the value of the share uh, of a share that was being valued much higher than the equivalent Bitcoin held in the trust. This was positive for shareholders who could sell their shares at a price higher than the value of the underlying asset. However, in February 2021, shares no longer traded at a premium and instead traded at a discount below the net asset value. At their lowest point, shares were trading at nearly a 50% discount and continue to trade at a discount to this day, costing shareholders billions of dollars in lost share price value. Bitcoin is not often traded in traditional brokerage accounts, so investors who primarily trade through institutional exchanges such as Charles Schwab or TD Ameritrade would not be able to use their investment portfolio to purchase Bitcoin. This includes those with 401k or individual retirement accounts. Since there's not currently a spot Bitcoin ETF for investors to get exposure to Bitcoin, and especially during the times when GBTC was trading at a premium, buying shares in Grayscale's trust was touted as a wise investment. <clears throat> if they wanted to invest directly in Bitcoin, the only alternative option for investors with retirement accounts would be to liquidate their accounts, pay an early withdrawal penalty before being able to buy Bitcoin on an exchange with the no longer tax-advantaged funds. From its inception, Grayscale has always stated its intention to convert the trust into an ETF and is in active litigation against the SEC about this matter. An ETF product in the U.S. has to get approval from the SEC, whereas the company's current trust structure does not require the same level of regulatory approval. Grayscale created this trust to allow people to buy Bitcoin who otherwise wouldn't be able to and, considered, and it was considered a very innovative model at the time of its formation in 2013. Grayscale was able to charge a relatively high annual fee of 2% for GBTC because this trust was a unique investment vehicle. Investors who were unable to gain Bitcoin exposure in other ways were willing to pay this fee, especially if the, their shares could be traded at a premium to NAV. In recent years, these fees have become higher than competitive rates, as the lawsuit details. 
A relevant part of the story is that Grayscale's original and authorized participant, Genesis, was lending millions of dollars to hedge funds like Three Arrows Capital, allegedly on the condition that they parked the money in the Grayscale Trust. In June 2023, after GBTC started trading at a discount, Three Arrows Capital blew up, sparking a wave of contagion events that bankrupted multiple cryptocurrency companies such as Babel, Finance, Voyager, BlockFi, and FTX. When Genesis filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in January 2023, it owed creditors over $3.5 billion. And there's a graphic in here that demonstrates the convoluted chain of leverage among various cryptocurrency hedge funds, which allowed them to capitalize on the GBTC premium trade, thus creating an outsized Genesis lending book and ultimately leading to the crypto contagion in 2022. In addition to Alameda, there's a group of GBTC shareholders organizing in order to take action against Grayscale with the hopes of clawing back hundreds of millions in fees. Renegotiating the fee structure moving forward and being granted the ability to redeem the customer Bitcoin held in the trust. This lawsuit is a derivative action, meaning that it affects all shareholders and not just the shareholder filing the lawsuit. To even be able to file a derivative action against the trust, multiple unaffiliated shareholders who jointly own at least 10% of shares outstanding need to join together as co-plaintiffs to bring the lawsuit according to trust documents and Grayscale's related arguments. The shareholders accuse Grayscale of mismanagement and conflicts of interest. The conflicts of interest relate to all critical parties associated with the trust being subsidiaries of DCG, Grayscale as the sponsor, Genesis as the authorized participant, and Coindesk as the index provider for the Bitcoin price. Other firms have offered to take over operation of the trust at a lower management fee that is more in line with industry standards, including Valkyrie Investments, who published a letter offering to manage the trust for an annual fee of 0.75%. In his end-of-year letter to investors, Grayscale Investment CEO Michael Sonnenschein stated, We remain steadfast in our belief that the conversion of GBTC to an ETF is in the best interest of investors, and we remain 100% committed to that endeavor. While he shared plans for a potential 20% tender offer, should that not be possible, the company would instead continue to operate GBTC without an ongoing redemption program until we were successful in converting it to a spot Bitcoin ETF. This is in line with the company's claims that they are unable to allow redemptions without express permission by the SEC and are only focused on their lawsuit against the SEC to allow the conversion of the trust into an ETF. With shares trading at such a large discount and redemptions not allowed, shareholders are trapped unless they sell their shares at a considerable loss. Notable Bitcoin critic Congressional Representative Brad Sherman wrote in a letter to SEC Chair Gary Gensler, seeking clarification from the agency as to whether Grayscale is actually prevented from allowing redemptions. He also questions the company's lack of an independent director on its board and its comparatively high fees, among other regulatory concerns. The Alameda bankruptcy estate is leading a derivative action against Grayscale, claiming the sponsor has collected $1.3 billion in management fees in violation of its trust agreement. In a motion filed in the Delaware Chancery Court, Alameda said it has assembled over 45 parties, including dozens of individuals, numerous funds, and family offices who indicated they were willing to participate as additional plaintiffs. The motion details how the plaintiffs believe they reached the 10% threshold of shares, that 
It is until a large shareholder who was expected to be a plaintiff dropped out without explanation, leaving Alameda below the necessary share count. The court granted the plaintiffs until September 15th to gather the remaining support from shareholders. The plaintiffs are putting out a call to any and all GBTC shareholders who are interested in joining the Grayscale lawsuit. Their website has more information and an intake process where shareholders can sign up before September 1st to participate in the legal case against Grayscale. And I think Grayscale is going to fight that tooth and nail because if, if they have to start redeeming Bitcoin, um, it's game over. Their fund is, is going to collapse. Uh, they won't be making any money and they'll probably end up having to close it. So we will we'll be watching that one. Uh, next article is from Decrypt. This was posted on August 24th. <clears throat> and um, this one's entitled, Bitcoin wins while Fed prints more fiat toilet paper, says Arthur Hayes. Uh, BitMEX co-founder Arthur Hayes believes the Federal Reserve will lose its quest to beat inflation, ultimately benefiting risk, risk assets of finite, finite supply, such as Bitcoin. In a blog post, and there's a link here um, to that, I read his stuff every month. It's, it's entertaining and also, um, you know, very informative, well-researched. Uh, in a blog post published on Wednesday, the essayist argued that the Fed is sucking money from one area of the economy while injecting money into another. As long as the Fed's strategy to combat inflation remains chaotic, assets like Bitcoin will likely rise in the long run. Bitcoin has a finite supply, and therefore, as the denominator of fiat toilet paper grows, so will Bitcoin's value in fiat currency terms, Hayes wrote. Aside from big tech and crypto, the ex-CEO believes nothing will yield a better return for investors besides parking their money at Fed and earning nearly 6% yield. He went on to explain why the Fed's tactics have been flawed, specifically by continually raising its reverse repo program and interest on reserves balances, the central bank is forced to pay out billions more per month to depositors, which counteracts the Fed's effect on the money supply from quantitative tightening, selling bonds on the open market. If the Fed believes that to kill inflation, it must both raise interest rates and reduce the size of its balance sheet, then it's cutting its nose to spite its face, wrote Hayes. The central bank's approach differs from Paul Volcker, a former central bank chairman credited with crushing inflation in the 1980s through hawkish monetary policy. As Hayes explained, while the Fed in the 1980s may have adjusted its policy rate, it did not micromanage RRP and IORB rates to match it. <clears throat> the only variable that changed from the Fed's perspective was the size of its balance sheet, said Hayes. At present, the Fed is draining $80 billion per month from the market through QT while injecting $22.53 billion into banks. Though this still appears restrictive, Hayes estimated that the rising interest expense on U.S. government debt is putting another $80 billion per month back into the economy. I estimate that $23 billion in liquidity uh, is net injected every month, he said. Eventually, Hayes said he expects the Fed to reverse course on QT as the U.S. Treasury becomes replete with the alternative buyers of its debt and grows desperate to avoid a cataclysmic default. That said, the market doesn't seem to acknowledge this as imminent and thus hasn't moved its capital into Bitcoin yet. We got to go, go down to go up, concluded Hayes. I'm not going to fight the market, but just sit tight and accept my stimmies. <laughs> 
And actually he calls, uh, he says that the higher interest rates that are being paid to, uh, you know, holders of treasury, short-term treasury bonds and short-term treasury bills and that sort of thing is um, stimmies for rich people, which uh, I kind of agree with. Okay, next uh, we're going to talk, uh, this is from Bitcoin Magazine. This was posted on August 24th. Uh, a little update on Lightning Network. Blockstream's core Lightning integrates splicing feature. Uh, I think we talked about splicing um, probably last week or the week before, uh, and I know I wrote about it in one of my blog posts. Um, but the Blockstream has introduced the splicing feature in its core Lightning implementation, enabling liquidity changes to Lightning channels, according to a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine. This comes on the heels of ACINQ's implementation of splicing last month, where users of Eclair experienced a 60% decrease in Lightning transaction fees. Splicing is expected to tackle a persistent challenge within the Lightning network, liquidity constraints. These constraints have long been cited as a barrier to widespread adoption, impeding the seamless flow of transactions. With splicing, Blockstream aims to alleviate these liquidity challenges, ultimately leading to more affordable and reliable transactions for Lightning users. Lisa Nygut, developer of Blockstream, emphasized the significance of this feature, stating, one of the biggest pain points for Lightning users is unreliable transaction throughput. Channel liquidity constraints are a big part of the equation there. Splicing is an incredible new tool for alleviating liquidity constraints, which should result in making transactions significantly cheaper and more reliable for users. Splicing also has a notable impact on the concept of unified wallets. Traditionally, users have had to manage separate Bitcoin and Lightning balances, creating unnecessary complexity. With the introduction of splicing, these balances can be merged seamlessly, rendering the distinction between Bitcoin and Lightning balances largely inconsequential for everyday users. Dusty Demon, leading lead splicing contributor, highlighted the user-centric approach behind this feature. The goal is to make wallets just work instead of users having to bear the brunt of managing different account balances for different protocols. In the future, everyday users won't need to understand the difference between Lightning and Bitcoin. These protocols will simply be spliced together on the back end. Dusty Demon developed splicing collaboratively, collaborating closely with Blockstream's Lisa Nygut and Rusty Russell, as well as ACINQ's CTO Bastian Tenturer. Demon's work on this feature has been funded through private grants, including a recent contribution from OpenSats, a private, a Bitcoin nonprofit organization partially backed by Jack Dorsey. As Blockstream's core Lightning implementation introduces splicing, the Lightning Network stands at the threshold of a new era of enhanced efficiency, reduced fees, and simplified user experiences. With this upgrade, the gap between Lightning and Bitcoin protocols is poised to narrow driving the Bitcoin ecosystem closer to its vision of seamless user-friendly transactions. The only thing this article doesn't talk about is that you know, the, one of the benefits of splicing from the perspective of a, someone who has a channel open is, uh, you know, in order to uh, increase or decrease the liquidity in the channel, the channel would have to be closed um, and then reopened. And, you know, that's costly uh, and a hassle um, because you have to, um, 
you know, pay fees to, to close out the transaction on chain and then pay fees again to, to on another, to open up a, another channel, which is another transaction. So the, um, topping up or reducing, uh, can all happen, um, you know, in one transaction, basically, uh, using splicing. So that's, that's the big deal, um, from, from the, um, lightning, uh, node providers perspective uh next up we'll talk a little bit about privacy um this was discussed a little bit on this week's uh rabbit hole recap podcast um which and they had you know some interesting takes on it um and it, of course, relates to the Ethereum network, which we don't really care about, but I think the privacy uh, and censorship implications are, are important to pay attention to. So this article is from CNBC. This was posted on uh, August 23rd. Tornado Cash founders charged with laundering more than $1 billion, including millions, for North Korea. Two founders of Tornado Cash, the widely known Russian cryptocurrency mixer, has been have been charged with laundering more than a billion dollars in criminal proceeds. In a newly unsealed indictment, Roman Storm and Roman Semenov have both been accused of sanctions, violations, and laundering money through Tornado Cash, including hundreds of millions of dollars for the Lazarus Group, a sanctioned North Korean state-backed hacking group. Charges in the indictment include conspiring to commit money laundering, conspiracy to commit sanctions violations, and conspiracy to operate an unlicensed money transmitting business. Storm was arrested Wednesday in Washington State, according to a statement from the Justice Department, but Semenov, a Russian national, remains at large. We're treating this like any other fugitive now, James Smith, assistant director in charge of the FBI's New York field office, told CNBC. We're working with law enforcement outside and inside our agency trying to locate and arrest this individual. We will work whatever avenues, whatever we need to, to arrest, whether it be domestic or international. The third co-founder, Alexei Pertsev, who is not mentioned in this action, faces trial in Amsterdam over his involvement with Tornado Cash. Roman Storm and Roman Semenov allegedly operated Tornado Cash and knowingly facilitated this money laundering, said U.S. Attorney Damian Williams, adding... While publicly claiming to offer a technically sophisticated privacy service, Storm and Semenov, in fact, knew that they were helping hackers and fraudsters conceal the fruits of their crimes. The indictment also alleged that Storm and Semenov chose not to implement know-your-customer or anti-money laundering programs as required by law, and instead advertised that the Tumblr provided untraceable and anonymous financial transactions. Brian Klein, Storm's lawyer and a partner with Waymaker LLP, said in a statement, we are incredibly disappointed that the prosecutors chose to charge Mr. Storm, adding that they believe the prosecutors did so based on a novel legal theory with dangerous implications for all software developers. Klein added, Mr. Storm has been cooperating with the prosecutor's investigation since last year and disputes that he engaged in any criminal conduct. There is a lot more to this story that will come out at trial. Wednesday's joint action included the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Justice Department, and the Internal Revenue Service's Criminal Investigative Unit. The Office of Foreign Assets Control, which previously banned Americans from using Tornado Cash in August 2022, also sanctioned Semenov Wednesday. 
Tornado Cash is used by some people as a legitimate way to protect their privacy in the still nascent crypto market. When a, when a buyer pays for something, uh, when a buyer pays for something using a crypto wallet, the recipient of the transfer has access to the purchaser's public crypto wallet showing account details and history. Using a crypto mixing service like Tornado Cash masks those details by anonymizing the funds and concealing the identity of the buyer. But the service <clears throat> was also used a number in a number of high-profile crypto heists in 2022, including the $615 million theft of tokens from Ronin, a network supporting the non-fungible token game Axie Infinity, and a $100 million attack on U.S. startup Harmony. Both were linked by security researchers with Lazarus Group. Blockchain analytics firm Elliptic found at least $1.5 billion in proceeds from crimes such as ransomware, hacks, and fraud have been laundered through Tornado Cash, and that the entirety of the $100 million stolen from the Harmony Bridge in June was laundered through the service. The U.S. Treasury previously quoted a much higher figure for Tornado Cash and said it had been used to launder more than $7 billion worth of virtual currency since it launched in 2019. That figure re refers to the total value of crypto assets that have been sent through Tornado Cash. Some blockchain analytics tools have managed to demix crypto sent through Tornado to identify the source of the funds. Elliptic says it was able to trace crypto stolen from Harmony to several new Ether wallets, for example. In blacklisting Tornado Cash on Thursday, the Treasury Department said it was going after criminals who used the service to launder more than $7 billion worth of virtual currency since it launched in 2019. And I guess the upshot of this is that uh, <clears throat> the government is going after privacy. And um, so, uh, you know, this this is... Uh, the, the excuse is always... Um, well, we want to stop terrorists or we want to stop uh, drug dealers or whatever. But uh, the reality is, is to be able to have tools to be able to have some privacy uh, for law-abiding citizens is is uh, is important, and it shouldn't be taken away uh, under the ruse that this is to, um, you know, shut down uh, bad guys. And then finally, uh, we'll wrap up with um, this article from Decrypt. This was uh, posted on August 25th. Tor Network is now using Bitcoin-like security to guard against attacks. Since mid-2022, the privacy-preserving Tor Network has been plagued by denial-of-service attacks, making the network sluggish and at times downright impossible to use. In its latest software release, Tor is aiming to defend against these attacks with proof-of-work, the same cryptographic mechanism that underpins and secures Bitcoin. Using proof-of-work in some manner to prevent attacks has been an idea in the Tor community for many years. Now it's finally in place. The goal of this rollout is to require attackers to use more computational resources to execute their attacks. Tor is a network that privatizes the IP addresses of people who use it. It's also used by Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency advocates to improve their privacy, hiding the IP address of Bitcoin nodes or where transactions are coming from, for instance. Though Bitcoin and Tor now both use proof-of-work technology by the same name, 
The privacy network's implementation is quite different since its developers have crafted it specifically to guard against attacks on Tor. There are algorithmic similarities, but there are a few important distinctions. Tor's proof-of-work system is dynamic. Instead of forcing clients to go after a static target, we ask clients to bid using their proof-of-work effort. The Tor Project Director for Strategic Communications, Pavel Zonef, told Decrypt. Onion services are websites or services that run over Tor, shielding the website's IP address. The network's algorithm is able to detect when a website is receiving a bunch of traffic at once, say from an attacker. When that happens, proof of work kicks in, requiring users to use more comp computational effort to visit the website. Normal users shouldn't notice this change, but attackers will since they'll have to use much more computational impact to have the same impact. We believe that the introduction of a proof-of-work mechanism will disincentivize attackers by making large-scale attacks costly and impractical while giving priority to legitimate traffic, Zonif explained in the post announcing the release. One of the reasons why Tor is important, I mean, not not the least of which is, you know, uh, being able to have uh, privacy, but um, uh, I actually did some transactions uh, on BISC, which is a peer-to-peer uh, -peer, uh, Bitcoin um, service where you can you can buy Bitcoin. Um, uh, basically, you can use Zelle or any number of different payment methods peer-to-peer, uh, -peer, but it runs on top of Tor network. And uh, it's a nice option if, uh, if we ever have a situation where we can't use uh, traditional exchanges or, or banks. And of course, anything that you acquire peer-to-peer -peer is KYC-free. So um, Tor is a very important privacy tool. And uh, even though it is a bit centralized, you know, because there's, you know, an administrative group or whatever that runs it, uh, it's still uh, um, a, a useful tool. It's good to see them uh, leveraging Bitcoin concepts. And then finally, wanted to mention this week's Substack post. I'll include a link to this also in the show notes. Uh, it is entitled The Closing of the Gold Window in 1971 and Its Economic Impact, What Happened in 1971. So check that out if you will and that will wrap it up for this week thanks for listening to the podcast if you enjoyed the show please like and leave a comment also don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode uh, if you're not listening on fountain you should be you can earn sats uh, just for listening to your favorite podcasts on there um, you can follow my Substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com and as I mentioned last week, I am no longer on X or Twitter. Uh, I said goodbye to that. So I'm just on Noster. Uh, and I do include my NPUB there in the uh, show notes if you want to follow me there. Uh, I'm Bitcoin Fortress on Noster. So I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>